Welcome to Christian Assembly, a family church. Since 1930, we've been serving the communities of Western Pennsylvania, Ohio, and West Virginia with the good news of Jesus Christ. With over 40 years of Bible teaching and ministry experience, Pastor Bill brings faith-filled revelation from God's Word. We believe with you, wherever you are, that God will inspire and change your life through the following teaching. For more information about Christian Assembly, follow us on social media or visit our website at cafamily.net. Praise God. We're talking about what really counts in Christ. If you weren't with us last week, this is lesson number two. A quick review of some of the things we talked about last week. Let's read Galatians chapter 5, beginning of verse 2. This is from the NIV, New International Version. Mark my words, this is the Apostle Paul speaking, I, Paul, tell you that if you let yourselves be circumcised, Christ will be of no value to you at all. Again, I declare to every man who lets himself be circumcised that he is obligated to obey the whole law. You who are trying to be justified by the law have been alienated from Christ. You have fallen away from grace. For through the Spirit we eagerly await by faith the righteousness for which we hope. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision has any value. The only thing, notice that, the only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. Whoa. Well, wouldn't you say if that's the only thing that counts, that those two subjects are very important for us to really study? Two things that really count. Faith, working by love, expressed by love energized by love, any way you look at it. And last week we talked a little bit about faith, and I'll just give you a quick review of some of the things that we said. Faith is really believing in something so much, being so certain about something, that you are moved to act on it. And we use, like, for example, a parachute. If you were 14,000 feet in the sky, and you're about to jump out of a plane and go free-falling, do you think you'd have faith in that parachute? Would you? How much faith would you have in that parachute? Would there be any doubt whatsoever that it, if it's going to open or not? I would think since you're risking your life, that you'd be absolutely positively certain that it's going to work. It's going to open. That's an unconscious faith that you have in something that you probably didn't pack, something that you probably didn't supervise when it was being packed, or maybe even know the person that packed it. But yet you put it on and you just jump 14,000 feet into the air. It takes faith to do that, doesn't it? Absolutely. Then we talked about faith is, is being convinced of this to such a degree you risk your life. We talked about how faith has three components. In Romans chapter 10, talks about you believe it, you hear it first, you believe it, and then you act. And then the primary action of faith is saying what we say. So, how can they believe without something they haven't heard? So you got to hear it, you got to believe it, and then act on it, and the primary action is saying what we say, which is how we got saved. But notice those three things, those components to faith. What I hear is what I'm going to believe. So if you grew up in a church and you heard that God is the cause of all your problems, what are you going to believe? 
that God's the cause of all your problems. So if you hear that, you believe that, you'll act like that. So we got to hear the right message so that we can believe the right thing and act upon that accordingly. And we use as an example with regard to the primary action of faith is saying David standing before Goliath. You know, when you're the average young person growing up and you hear the story of David and Goliath, we think about those five stones that he picked up. Of course, you also are told that he had four brothers and that's why he had five stones in case one of the brothers came along and all that. He didn't kill Goliath with stones. He killed him with words. It's words that did it. When Goliath came to him and said, you're going down, I'm going to feed your carcass to the fowls of the air. What did he say? He said, no, 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 it's not going to be that way. It's going to be this way. My God, whom I serve, will deliver you into my hand, and I will cut off your head and feed your carcass and the carcass of your Philistine buddies to the coyotes, is what David said. Was he manipulating God with words? Absolutely not. He was depending on God to be faithful to his word, to stand behind his word, to act upon his, when it's acted upon, that he'll bring it to pass. That's what David was doing. He wasn't being arrogant toward God or saying, I can manipulate God and get him to do what I want him to do with my words. He said, no, no, God said he would defend me. God said he would fight for me. God said he would go before me. So you know what? He will, I believe, like when I jump out of the plane, it's, that chute's going to open. Well, you know what? I believe that when I tell you you're going down because my God will fight for me, you're going down because my God will fight for me. That's faith. That's not presumption. That's not foolishness. That's not manipulation. That is faith believing God. And we can say so much more about that. As a matter of fact, another thing that shows us the value and the importance of our faith is this. Remember when Jesus was talking to Peter and said, Peter, Satan has come to sift you like wheat. You remember, he's coming to tear you apart, man. But I, Jesus, have prayed for you, Peter. He didn't say, I'm eliminating the devil from your life. I'm binding the devil from your life. The devil will not touch you in any way. He said, Peter, I'm praying that your faith fail not. And you read his epistle, what you find out, he said, your faith is of more value than precious gold. Tried by fire. He said, you resist the devil with your faith. So you see, this is a fight. Faith is a fight. Without faith, we're not saved. Without faith, we can't fight. Without faith, we can't please God. And the list goes on and on about faith. And so really, we need to do it even more in-depth study on the subject of faith because that's what counts in Christ is our faith working by selfishness. You are awake on this snowy Sunday morning that it's not supposed to be snowing out there. Okay. No, faith works by what? Everybody say love. Everybody say agape. See, that word should have never been translated. It should have been Faith which worketh by agape. Why? It captures our attention. It makes us understand something about this word love. You see, there's different Greek words for love. We talked about them. Eros, storge, phileo, and agape. Agape is love based on decision and principle, not feeling or emotion. It is something that is decided upon. I will love you no matter how I feel, period. It's an act of the will. It is something that's deliberate. It is a choice. I choose to love you no matter what you do to me. Is basically what God is saying. And you realize this? This is how God loves us. Do you know that God will never love you any more or less than he loves you right now? He won't. You know why? Because his love for you is not based on your performance. Or lack thereof. 
His love for me is constant. It's unconditional. It's unchanging. In other words, I could please Him, worship Him. He loves me the same. I can reject Him, deny Him. I can insult Him. He loves me the same. Guess what? If I make my bed in hell, He loves me the same. His love for every human being will never get any greater or less than what it is right now. It will never diminish. It will never increase. Because He loves us all with the perfect love, but He allows us to have the opportunity to make our decision as to where we'll spend our eternity. Now, if we choose to walk with Him, we'll be blessed. There's no question about it. But your performance or mine, one way or another, will never increase or diminish His love for us. Now, why am I emphasizing that? Because that's how He told us to love one another. You realize that? He told us to agape one another. Now, remember, agape is not something you have till you get saved. If you're not saved, you don't have agape. You may try to imitate it, but you don't have it. It's only when you get saved that you get agape in your life. Now, eros means there's a physical attraction. We understand that. Storge means that there's affection. We understand that. Phileo, brotherly love. We understand that. Agape, you don't have. But once you get saved, you get agape. And he said, I want you to love one another, agape one another, as I have agaped you, as I've loved you. So faith now works by what? By love. Okay, so we look at John's Gospel, chapter 15, and we've been given a commandment by our Lord himself. This agape that's in our hearts, we're to love others with. But look at what it says. This is my commandment, not a suggestion, that you love one another, agape, as I have loved you, Greater love is no man than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends. So here, what he does, he raises the bar when it comes to love. He raises the bar when it comes to our loving each other. Because before he said, as yourself, love your neighbor as yourself. But now he says, as I have loved you. He takes it to the highest level that there is. Well, look at the Romans chapter 5 and look at what it says. In verse 7, For scarcely for a righteous man will one die. Yet peradventure for a good man some would even dare to die. But God commended his love toward us in that while we were loving him, no, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Much more than being now justified by his blood, we shall be saved from wrath through him. Okay. But notice, love is sacrificial. There wasn't anything that the world was doing to love God. Everyone was a sinner. But God chose, God decided to love humanity in such a way that he sent his son to die for us in that awful state that we were in. So even though we were in a state of rebellion... And even though that we were dishonoring him, he still chose to love us with this agape love that's unconditional, that's based on a decision, not a feeling or an emotion. Can you imagine if it was based on a feeling and an emotion? And he was responding to how we were treating him. You think he would have saved anybody? Absolutely not. No. So he chose to love us with agape love. It was sacrificial love that says, I will lay down my life for you, even though you're a sweetheart, and even though you are a, mm, we won't even go there. Both sides of the spectrum, okay? 
doesn't matter who you are. You're not good enough to be saved. You're not mean enough not to be saved. He chose to love us with this kind of love. And you know what? He will love us that way throughout eternity. Look at 1 John chapter 3, and you'll see it kind of laid out for us by the Apostle John. For this is the message that you heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. Not as Cain, who was that wicked one and slew his brother. And wherefore slew he him? Because his own works were evil and his brother's righteous. Marvel not, my brethren, if the world hates you. And it will. You know that we have passed from death unto life because we love the brethren. He that loveth not his brother abides in death. Whosoever hates his brother is a murderer, and you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. Hereby perceive we the love of God, because he laid down his life for us. We ought, which means owe it to him to lay down our lives for the brethren. But whoso has this world's good, and seeth his brother have need, and shuts up his bowels of compassion from him, how dwells the love of God in him? My little children... Let us not love in word, neither in tongue, but in deed and in truth. So what's he trying to communicate to us? There is something that really reveals to us the fact that we've passed from death to life. And what is that? There was an explosion that took place within our hearts when we got saved. And that explosion was the love of God being shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost who was given to us. And when that agape love came into our hearts, it took us into this new dimension of love. And we begin loving like we've never loved before. We actually see people that maybe before we just rebelled, rejected because of their rebellion and all that, but we see them in a different light. I know when I first got saved, I saw people that were sinners out there in a different light. I realized, like Jesus would say, man, these people don't even know what they're doing. They're lost. They're in darkness. No wonder they're groping around in this world trying to find some, some sort of meaning to life. And in the process, what are they doing? They're getting involved in all these evil things. Why? Because that's their nature. That's what's on the inside of them. I don't see them as an enemy right now. I see them someone who needs saved, who needs the blood of Jesus, who needs to come to Christ. You see, he saw the good in all of us while we were sinners. Didn't he? Didn't he? He sure did. And he was willing to lay down his life because he knew some of us would respond to that love. And we did. And we're looking for others to do the same thing. But how that's going to, how's that going to happen? By us loving them, even though they're unlovable. Caring about them, showing mercy, even though they don't maybe deserve mercy. Well, did we deserve mercy? Absolutely not. Look at Romans 5.5. 5. This is from the Amplified Translation of the Bible. And it says this, Such hope never disappoints or deludes or shames us, for God's love has been poured out in our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. It would have been a whole lot better for it to say God's agape was poured forth into our hearts. It, was ex it exploded within our hearts. This newfound love, this transcending love has entered into our hearts. And all of a sudden we've become a different person on the inside. Our nature has changed. Now it's one to love. We want to love people no matter whether they're good to us or whether they're bad toward us. We love them equally we love them the same. And this is the big challenge. Uh, let me say this. How can God expect us to love the way he loved us? How? Only one way. By giving us his love to love people with. 
If I told you, please go up the shop and save down the street about four miles down the road, buy me some groceries. It's about $50 worth of groceries. I'd appreciate that very much. And you're standing there and saying, okay, be glad to do that for you. Thank you. Appreciate it. Uh, uh, can I have the $50 to buy the groceries? Oh, you, do you need that? How can you buy the groceries if I don't give you the $50? How can we love the way He loved us if He doesn't give us the love to love people with? If He doesn't make a deposit in our hearts of agape love, then we can't love people that way. But He said, I'm not asking you to do something that you can't do. I'm going to give you the means by which you can do it. But here's the problem. It is so foreign to us that without a revelation of what this agape does... We wouldn't know what to do with it. We have it on the inside. But we got to get it to the outside. Yeah. Do you ever notice when it comes to the power gifts of the Spirit in 1 Corinthians 12, chapter 12, it reveals to us this manifestation of the Holy Ghost, the power gifts? You ever notice in chapter 14, God's a God of power? Now we see in chapter 14, it's a God of order. He's a God of order. This is how these gifts are to be in operation. What's in between chapter 12 and chapter 14? It's not a trick question. What chapter is that? 13. It's the love chapter. There's power, there's order. And love is in the middle, which is the best way or the better way. In other words, these gifts operate when people operate in agape. When agape is the motivating force behind the activity of our lives within the body of Christ, and agape is behind, that's the force behind all these manifestations and these gifts of the Spirit, that's the better way. And that's how they're going to be effective in meeting the needs of people. So, look at 1 Corinthians chapter 13, and this is uh, from the Passion Translation. Isn't it something we've got these wonderful translations that we can look to that just maybe expand things a little bit more for us and ex express things in different ways? Look at what it says. If I were to speak with eloquence in earth's many languages... And in heavenly tongues as angels, yet I didn't express myself with love. My words would be reduced to a hollow sound of nothing more than a clanging cymbal. If I were to have the gift of prophecy with a profound understanding of God's hidden secrets, and if I possess unending supernatural knowledge, and if I had the greatest gift of faith that could move mountains but have never learned to love, then I'm nothing. And if I were to be so generous as to give away everything I own to feed the poor and to offer my body to be burned as a martyr without the pure motive of love, I would gain nothing of value. Let's just stop right there just for a moment. Notice those things he just said right there. If love is not, if agape, I should say it that way, is not the motivating force behind all the activity of my lives, of my life, it doesn't matter because I'm a nobody, he said making a lot of loud clanging noise that benefits me nothing. People have placed so much emphasis on like the tongues, yes, and, and rightfully so, all the gifts of the Spirit. That's wonderful. But if the motivation behind that is not the agape of God, I'm making a lot of noise. I'm a nobody making a lot of noise to no benefit whatsoever. So no wonder Paul said, look, in Christ, faith working by love, expressed through love, energized by love, is what's really most important. It's really what counts. And so, let's read on, and we, we've 
been given by the Apostle Paul, an exposition on this love and how this love operates. And there's different translations you can look at. But look at verse 4. Love is large and incredibly patient. Love is gentle and consistently kind to all. It refuses to be jealous when blessing comes to someone else. Love does not brag about one's achievements nor inflate its own importance. Love does not traffic in shame and disrespect nor selfishly seeks its own honor. Agape, we should say, is not easily irritated or quick to take offense. Agape joyfully celebrates honesty and finds no delight in what is wrong. Agape is a safe place of shelter for it never stops believing the best for others or about others. Agape never takes failure as defeat for it never gives up. Love never stops loving. It extends beyond the gift of prophecy which eventually fades away. It is more enduring than tongues which will one day fall silent. Love or agape remains long after words of knowledge are forgotten. You see the importance he's placed on agape being the motivating force behind our lives. Remember that verse, those verses in 1 John 4, 7 and 8, Beloved, let us love one another. For love is of God and everyone that loves is born of God and knows God. He that loves not doesn't know God for God is love. Growing up into him in all things involves speaking the truth in love. We may grow up into Christ. So we're talking about this wonderful manifestation of agape love that was shed abroad in our hearts when we first got saved. It exploded within us and it caused us to see the world and humanity through different eyes. And he's saying that is what's supposed to be motivating us. So if you think about it, it's easier for us to love those that love us, which is phileo love. We respond to another person's love. But when someone is against us and standing, you know, in opposition to us, it's a lot more difficult, isn't it? I had another experience. I don't know why I get these experiences. I just have no idea. One was at the cleaners. This one was at Eaton Park. Another opportunity, you know, to walk in love. And it wasn't quite the same. It was during that snow that we had, that bad snow, the recent, the recent, the latest one that we just had. And my daughter just had a hankering for some pie. <laughs> She's getting her nails done, didn't want to drive, so I drove her to get her nails done. And then I don't mind driving in this stuff. It doesn't bother me at all. So I go in there, and this, I'm in this, I'm in Dean Park, and I'm at the counter in Manaka. You know. One minute goes by. Some girl is sitting on the first stool over there. Another minute goes by. She's just looking my way. I look that way. She's looking at me. Mm-hmm. Another minute goes by. Mm-hmm. There's a lady that's cleaning the salad bar. So I finally make my way over to the salad bar and say, excuse me. You know, I'd like to get a pie. Oh, no problem. I'll go to the back and get somebody for you. Thank you. She goes to the back, get somebody. So I walk up to the front. And as I'm walking up to the front, some guy just walked in, stands there. So the lady comes down and she says, who is here first? He goes, I was. She goes, I think he was because he went to get somebody. I said, really? I've been standing here almost five minutes now. But I said, you know, whatever. 
And he, he just went off. He was rude. He was arrogant. Unbelievable. And I said, look, I was here, but that's okay. If you want to go, you can go. I don't want to talk to you about it. And he got really <laughs> vehement. I said, hey, no problem. Well, apparently he was one of these Uber drivers or, or someone that was picking up DoorDash, whatever it might be. And the lady told me, you should have gone around the back to the drive-thru. That's where he's supposed to. And he snapped at her and says, I will not do that. <laughs> you know? Long story short, I get my pie and she had to go back and cut a piece. And so she comes out. And when she comes out, she tells me after he leaves, he comes in here all the time. He's the rudest individual you've ever met. I said, Lord, bless the man real good. Apparently he's having some issues or whatever. But um, there's so many opportunities to walk in love. And there's so many opportunities to walk out of love. But there's one thing I want to emphasize because the next phase of this, when we get into this next point, is so important. Nothing shows us more than this. That love is not based on feeling and emotion than what Jesus said when he said to love your enemy. Nothing shows it like that. Because you see, love is not a feeling. Love is not an emotion. Love is a decision. Agape, I should say. Agape is a decision. It is a choice. It is deliberate. It has nothing to do with how I felt like choking him in love. <laughs> nothing to do with that whatsoever. Okay? Look, when I do premarital counseling, I tell this to, to, the, to the couple that's there before me. I want you to know right off the bat. I want you to know something before you leave this room. I want you to know that the moment you say I do, you are vowing yourself to each other and giving up your rights to ever say I don't love you anymore. Because you see, once you say I do, it's no longer a feeling it is a commitment. It is a covenant. It is a deliberate decision of your will that you said you would love each other for the rest of your life. And what do feelings have to do with that? Are we clear? Yeah. Crystal clear. Yeah. So if you come in my office five years and I say, I don't love him anymore. I said, so what? What's that got to do with it? It's like you got a new car. You bought this new car. You're making payments on this new car, right? And you stop making payments on the car. And then someone comes to repossess your car. And they knock on your door and say, we're taking the car. But can we ask you why you didn't make the payment? Oh, I didn't feel like it. When I first bought it, the smell was nice. That new car smell was wonderful. But you know what? The kids got it dirty. There's some milk spilled in the back. It stinks. I didn't feel like it. Oh, why didn't you tell us before? We'd have never sent somebody out here to repossess your car. You could keep it. What? Is that going to happen? You see my point? You gave up your right to say, I don't love you. You made it in blood. You sealed it with blood. A covenant that says, that says I will love you for the rest of my life. Agape is a decision. It is a choice. It is deliberate. It's an act of the will. And you bound yourself to that for the rest of your life. Now, am I saying that there aren't situations? No, I'm not. If you're... It, all kinds of things. There's four reasons for divorce that are biblical. Not the message this morning, so we won't get into it. But there are four biblical reasons for divorce. Four. Okay? But the point is, you're making a decision for the rest of your life to love somebody, and you should never violate that. 
And you should make certain that it's not based on your feelings or emotions. It's a decision. And that's what this agape love is. And that's why I want to use that to bring you into this. Jesus said, love your enemies. And nothing shows us more that this agape love is not a feeling or an emotion, but a decision than what that statement means. So look at Matthew chapter 5, his Sermon on the Mount, and look what he says. And I've got two translations here, I believe. The message translation and also the passion translation. Look at what it says. You're familiar with the old written law. Love your friend. And it's unwritten. Notice the word unwritten there. You know why that's there? Because it's not scriptural. It wasn't written. That's not what the law said. Hate your enemy. I'm challenging, you, ch challenging that. I'm telling you to love your enemies. Let them bring out the best in you, not the worst. Whoa. When someone gives you a hard time, respond with the energies of prayer. For then you are working out your true selves. Your God-created selves. This is what God does. He gives his best. The sun to warm and the rain to nourish to everyone regardless. The good and the bad. The nice and the nasty. If you all do... If all you do is love the lovable, do you expect a bonus? Anybody can do that. If you simply say hello to those that greet you, do you expect a medal? Any run-of-the-mill sinner does that. In a word, what I'm saying is grow up. Your kingdom subjects. Now live like it. Live out your God-created identity. Live generously and graciously toward others the way God lives toward you. Wow. Look at the Passion Translation. Your ancestors have also been taught love your neighbors and hate the one who hates you. However, I say to you, love your enemy and bless the one who curses you. Do something wonderful for the one who hates you and respond to the very ones who persecute you by praying for them. For that will reveal your identity as children of your Heavenly Father. He is kind to all by bringing the sunrise to warm and the rainfall to refresh whether a person does what is good or evil. What reward do you deserve if you only love the lovable? Don't even the tax collectors do that? How are you any different from others if you limit your kindness only to your friends? Don't even the ungodly do that? Since you are children of a perfect father in heaven, you are to be perfect like him. Whoa. And the word perfect there just means mature. You want to talk about spiritual maturity and spiritually growing up? There it is right there. You talk about the plumb line. What's he saying to us? Even if these people are your enemies. Well, let me give you now what he taught in this parable to show us exactly who the enemy is. You see, what they did was they developed their own second part to that verse. It's, look at Leviticus 19, it's verse 18. Look at that verse. Thou shalt not avenge nor bear any grudge against the children of thy people, but thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. I am the Lord. Did you see any part of that that says, and hate your enemy? That was developed by them over the years because what they did was they defined, you see, the one that they love as their brethren, as their neighbor. But the enemy, if it's, whether it's the Gentiles or whether it's the Samaritans, you see, they're outside the camp. And so therefore, they're the enemy. I'm to hate them. 
And Jesus said, that's not what Leviticus was teaching. It was teaching you to love your neighbor. Well, here's a parable where this fellow that was taught this, and he was basically exalting himself. He goes to Jesus, and he asks Jesus, what's the greatest of all the, the law and commandments? And Jesus said, you're to love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and your neighbor as yourself. And he said, yeah. He said, I've done that. Let's read it. This is the parable of the Good Samaritan. Luke's Gospel, chapter 10. The man wanted to justify his actions. Look at his motive. And so he asked Jesus, well, then who is my neighbor? You see, they didn't know who their neighbor really was. Because what they were taught over the years was that your neighbor is your fellow brother, the Jew. And these other people, a Gentile, Samaritan, a half-breed, and all that, they're your enemies. They're despised. You don't have to love them. Just these people here. So this guy, he's waiting for justification. He thinks Jesus is going to pat, just pat him on the back and say, man, what a great guy you are. Here's what he says. Who's my neighbor? Jesus replied with a story or a parable. A Jewish man. What kind of man? A Jewish man was traveling from Jer Jerusalem down to Jericho. That's called the bloody road. Did you know that? That's the bloody way. Because from Jerusalem to Jericho, there were always these robbers and bandits that were positioned in different places where they would rob you along the way. And that's why he used that area. And he was attacked by bandits. They stripped him of his clothes. They beat him up. They left him half dead beside the road. By chance, a priest came, a priest came along. It was a Jewish guy that was lying there half dead, right? A priest came along, but when he saw the man lying there, he crossed to the other side of the road and passed him by. A temple Levite assistant, like a layperson, walked over and looked at him lying there, but he also passed on the other side. Then a despised Samaritan came along. And when he saw the man, he felt compassion for him going over to him the Samaritan soothed his wounds with olive oil and wine and bandaged them. Then he put the man on his own donkey and took him to an inn where he took care of him. The next day he handed the innkeeper two silver coins telling him, Take care of this man. If his bill runs higher than this, I'll pay you the next time I'm here. Now which of these three would you say was a neighbor to the man who was attacked by the bandits? And Jesus asked the man, Jesus asked, the man replied, the one who showed him mercy. Then Jesus said, yeah, then now you go and do the same. Is Jesus wise or what? How smart is he? You think the, the brother is just because they're Jews? Look, there's two Jews that passed this guy up, sold him out. They didn't care if he was going to die or not. Walked away from him. Here's someone who is supposed to be an enemy who is despised by the Jewish people. They should not, not, when I say despised, look, they would not walk through Samaria to get to a destination that was twice as close to get to. They'd walk all the way around Samaria to get there because they despised the Samaritans and they didn't even want to walk on their territory. It's almost like the guy from Michigan that said he could, he was offered a job Double salary, if he moved to Ohio, he goes, I'm not moving into Ohio, I'm a Michigan fan. 
So he lost twice the salary because he wasn't going to walk in Samaria. So this guy is a despised Samaritan who helps the Jewish person that his two brothers that were supposed to love him were concerned for their own well-being and just let him go. What's Jesus talking about? If you just love those that love you, see, he showed him who his neighbor really was. It's not your Jewish person. Not from your nationality. Love everybody. You be the one to show compassion, show mercy. As a matter of fact, I have listed there for you. Look at these different things that he did. The despised Samaritan helped him by doing these things. Number one, he stopped. Are we willing to stop what we're doing to help someone that we see in need? He stopped. Secondly, what did he do? He approached him. The other two wouldn't even approach him. They wouldn't even go near him to find out what the problem was. They were too concerned about themselves. So he stopped, he approached, and then he went down. He just rolled up his sleeve and got involved with this guy to see exactly where his injuries were. And then not only did he get down into the, to, to the trench with him, he picked him up. Isn't that something? He picked the man up. He put him on his own mule. He took him personally. Now, when I read that, I think about this. Where was this guy going? What was his agenda? What did he have to do? Did he have a meeting somewhere? We don't know. We're not told. But he stopped everything when he saw this man in need. He got down to where he lived, rolled up his sleeves, picked him up out of that pit that he was in, bound up his wounds best he could, put him on his own mule, took him to this other place, this inn somewhere, paid for him to get assistance, spent the night with him to make sure that he made it through the night, and then left money in case his expenses exceeded what he already had given. And Jesus says, that is a neighbor. Love your enemy. That Samaritan could have said, you Jewish person, forget you. You despise us, we despise you. Forget you. I want you to see that feeling an emotion has nothing to do with agape. Agape love is an action word. It means we love and we live out our love. Faith is an action word. You jump out of the plane 14,000 feet in the air. You act on what you believe. Love is an action word. It means even if the person doesn't love you or if he's your enemy... You don't focus your attention on that. You look beyond all that and you still love. And you demonstrate love by doing what Jesus just basically illustrated that we do. So if we were to place ourselves next to the plumb line, we measure up to Jesus, then what do we conclude? How developed am I in agape love? How am I developed in loving as he loved me? And that's really something that we all should consider. Why? Because the only way we really grow in Christ is by speaking the truth in love. And loving as he loved us. So it's not just the gifts of the Spirit, the manifestations of the Spirit. On the inside of us, there are three things we are told that matter. 
faith, hope, and love that really that are here. Faith, hope, and love. And Jesus said, of the greatest of these three, or Paul said it, Jesus gave it to him. What's the greatest of the three? Love. Why is agape the greatest of the three? You know where it says in the, in the King James, love never fails? A better rendering of that would be this. It never goes bankrupt. It never ends. It never goes bankrupt. When we act in the love of God, it's continuous, no matter what. And boy, are we challenged along the way. But you know what? We're supposed to still love. And even though our feelings and emotions want to choke the guy at Eaton Park, they just stand there and say, go ahead. You can wait on him if you want. Well, then finally two came out and we both got taken care of. Let's all stand together before the Lord.